Welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number two. My name is Eunice Park, and my husband, Eddie, and I started Hug Church with a vision to create a safe community for people to rest, learn, and grow. We gather in the heart of downtown Fullerton in Southern California. I want to specifically invite you locals to join us this Sunday, December 23rd for our Hug Christmas service. We always have an amazing time of worship, getting to know each other, and learning from our lead pastor, Eddie. So on this podcast, you'll hear the audio version of our weekly sermons. We are currently in the series titled Vision, and specifically today you'll hear about a really cool leadership development tool called The Broken Arrow. Are you ready to learn more? Let's dive on in. I want to share with you guys this morning one of my favorite models, one of my favorite tools and diagrams uh, for leadership development, and I hope that this is something that you can take away for your life when you enter into an organization or if you lead an organization yourself, right? And this is called the broken arrow, okay? And I wish I was brilliant enough to come up with with this myself, but I'm not. My friend Sam Song is the one that taught me this. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, Sam, I'm giving you cred, all right? So broken arrow, okay? So an arrow has roughly three parts to it, okay? And the first part is this thing called, I know it looks terrible, but um, you guys know what it is, right? It is a an arrowhead, right? An arrowhead. So an arrowhead's one job of the arrow is to do what? It pierces, right? It actually is the point. It points to the direction of where the arrow will go, okay? And if you notice, it is very small relative to the entire arrow. So in an organization, there is an arrowhead, okay? And Primarily, the task of the arrowhead is to point to the direction it is meant to go. It is the visionary or the one that sets the vision, okay? And if you notice, it, it does, there's not a lot of room on the arrowhead. So only maybe one or two people can actually fit relative to the entire organization or team, okay? But here's the thing. Visionaries or idea people tend to be, um, tend to be just idealistic and dreamers. And so if you ever take an arrowhead and try to throw it to the direction, it goes nowhere, it goes, right? It just falls on the ground. So the thing about an arrowhead is that it actually needs and depends on the other parts of the arrow, okay? So that's one thing to consider. So at the tail end of the arrow is something that, do you guys know what this is called, actually? The fletching. I just found that out, actually, yesterday, okay? It's the feathers or the fletching, and what is the primary role of the fletching on the part of the arrow? Balance and stabilize. Are you an archer? Wow, wow, amazing. Uh, so the, the point of the tail end of the arrow, or the fletching, is to stabilize, okay, stabilize. Now, you, again, there's not many people in this um, part of the organization because they're most likely the most uh, or the least popular, okay? Because stabilizers are the, the people that love to say no, right? When the arrowhead wants to go somewhere else, the, the stabilizer's like, no, we're going to go to the target. <laughs> Why are you going this way, okay? And, and whenever the arrow goes off course, the stabilizer is the one that brings balance back to the direction that it's meant to go, Okay. So that is a stabilizer. You, so you need a visionary, you need someone to point to the direction, and you need somebody in the organization that stabilizes when you're off course, it corrects course. Now, the middle part is called the shaft, 
okay? And it is the longest part of the arrow, okay? And if, in, uh, consequently, that the longer the arrow is, the farther the arrow can go. Did you know that? So if you have a shorter arrow, it goes, right? But if you have a longer arrow, it actually can go farther, all right? And this is where most people in your organization sit. If you sit on this side of the shaft, you tend to be what we call developers, right? They take, in this arrowhead, we call the designer. So the designer designs the idea, the vision of what it's going to look like. The developers take what the arrowhead says, designs and thinks and architects, and actually develops what uh, what these programs or what these things are going to do, right? And if you're on this side, usually these are people who are execution type people, okay? And these people are more risk management type people, stabilizers, okay? So that is kind of like the analogy I love to use, okay, in, in leadership development. So this is what, this is the exercise that we did yesterday, okay? Uh, I had everyone uh, write their name on a post-it and actually stick where they think they are who they are in the arrow, not just in the organization of hug, but in life. Where, where are they most naturally uh, gifted at? Or who do they think they see themselves in their life? Are they a stabilizer type? Are they execution type? Are they developing type? Are they a true designer? Okay? And uh, I won't share what other people put, but I'll share what I put myself. I normally put myself here. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I put myself here. Okay? And, you know, I think it's pretty fair that I put myself here on the arrow of the organization. But the unanimous feedback of everyone I talk to or run into is that they love to put me over here, <laughs> okay? I'm not even on the arrow, okay? And I, I find it fascinating every time I try. And in, in, in the second time I did this, I even put myself here. You know, like try to, okay, people, you know, they think I'm not as, they think I'm on the tip of the spear, and so I put myself here. And then yesterday when we, when we did this exercise, somebody put me like all the way over here. They just think I am this crazy, like Elon Musk type that wants to like live on the moon and, you know, have electric vehicles or whatnot. And I was like, wow, this is what people think about me. They think like, and they say like, well, Eddie, you know, if you weren't married, right? If you were single, you'd probably over, be over here crazy just thinking about ideas and writing and philosophies and whatnot. And you know what? I listened to the feedback and I, I, and I said, you know what? That's true. I am crazy, okay? <laughs> I have a lot of ideas. I love being someone that is so provocative and, uh, uh, and, and loves to change things and disrupt things. And I'm just over here. I do live in my head over here. But this is the thing. This year, I realized I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I actually want to be here. The reason being is because if you are here, you cannot be on a team in an organization. It's impossible. You're just too, you're just, you're just too crazy, right? So I've actually adjusted myself to say I want to be here because I want to I want to lead my family, which is an organization and group. I want to lead this church, which is an organization and group. And I want to be on a team. I don't want to be this solo, crazy, mad guru that people just think is like, you know, like, 
spiritual, right? But I want to be on a team that actually builds an organization. So here's the thing. I've made this adjustment, and what was really hard for me to make this adjustment is that if you have a vision, a vision that is big enough, you need to build a team. You need other people, especially if you're going to be on the arrowhead. And the most difficult part for me this year was asking for help. Asking for help was probably the most difficult challenge for me in leading and running and executing a vision. I don't know about you, right? And we're going to talk this month about vision because as I reflect on the 2018, there are things that I am proud of, but there are also things that I just let happen and I'm not proud of. And the reason why I just let some of these things happen is because I didn't have vision. I didn't have a vision that I was committed to and wanted to change in a plan. And so as we go into 2019, I want, I'm praying about us and I'm praying for you that you think in, in, in dream of vision for yourselves in 2019. Because it takes vision for you to execute and plan and not let life happen to you. And so, um, here's the thing. We talked about last, last week, we asked the question, how do you know your vision? And it's very simple. It, it's the simple question of, you guys remember? What do you want? It, it starts with a simple question, what do you want? And we talked about how, does God even care about what you want? Yes. Yes, he does. Especially if you're willing to pay the price and sacrifice. Now, now you might know what you want, okay? Now you might know what you want and you have a vision, but the second challenge for you in dis- in, after discovering your vision is how do you execute your vision? And if arguably, if you have a vision that is big enough, you are going to need help. You're going to need help from others and you're going to need to learn how to ask for help. But here's the thing. We don't like to ask for help right? But I want to talk about today why it is so important for us to ask for help. Why is asking for help so, so important in terms of executing our vision, all right? But before that, I want to talk about why we don't ask for help, all right? So this is where I get really Wikipedia, where you don't have to search, like, the internet and all this, uh, you know, psychology articles about why the human psyche doesn't ask for help. You get five points right here. So these are the five reasons why Normally, we do not ask for help. First reason being this, okay? It makes us feel weak, okay? There is something human about us. We don't like to ask for help because it makes us feel weak, okay? I remember when, uh, you know, I'm getting a little older now, and I'm hanging out with younger people these days, and I I used to be the guy that, like, helped my mom fix her computer, right? When my mom didn't, like, didn't know why this virus was happening in her computer, I just, like, come in and, like, fix it, right? Just download this patch or whatever, and it's cleaned up, or you just delete something that, you know, she shouldn't have downloaded or whatnot. I used to feel like this expert, right? Now, I'm at this place in life, when I look at, like, my wife and her friends on her, on social media, Instagram, I'm just looking at, how you, hey, how do you do that? (laughs) Whoa, how do you, how do you turn that image, like, how do you zoom, like, you know, and they're just like, oh, this is like this, you know, and I'm just like, wow, and I don't want to ask 
for help because it makes me feel weak, okay? I remember that. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? It, there's, a, there's a part of you that makes you feel weak and dumb and stupid. And you don't want to look bad in front of us. So that's one of the reasons why you don't want to ask for help. Number two, we lose control. When you ask for help, especially for me, why I don't like to ask for help is because I like things done a specific way, right? And I like to control it. And I'm afraid that if I ask for help, if I ask somebody else to do it, it won't be done at the quality level that I want it. But that is more about control <laughs> than anything else, okay? So if you, if, you don't want the, uh, if, if you don't like to lose control, that might be one reason why you don't like to ask for help. Number three, can't return the favor, okay? Another reason why human beings do not like to ask for help is because we think that Ooh, if I ask this person for help, I have to repay the favor somehow. And either one, I can't repay whatever this person might ask me. Or two, I don't want to help this person, right? I don't want to return the favor, right? So there's a lot of that transactional conversation that happens. All right, number four, why we don't ask for help. Ooh, if you're Asian, this is, this is a big one. There's a, there's a Korean word, okay, if you're Korean, there's a Korean word called budam, all right? And it is basically means like you just you are the worst human being for shame like for burdening someone else, all right? And burdening their life. A lot of us don't want to feel like we're burdening someone else. Like, oh, they're so busy. Oh, they don't they, you know, like they're working so hard. I don't want to burden them. All right. That feeling of the thought of burdening someone else is so shameful. We don't want to ask for help. Number five. All right. And a lot of us probably fall into this one too, right? The reason why we don't ask for help is because doing it ourselves is easier and faster, right? It takes time to train somebody. It takes time and patience to develop someone and show them exactly how to do something, right? Have you ever tried to help your parents do something technological? It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of kindness. It takes so much energy and exhaustion, right, to, to, you know, to train them. And, 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 and if you have an employee, it takes time. And it's way easier and quicker to just do it yourself. So this might be another reason why we don't ask for help. But if you have a vision that is big enough, if you have a vision that is worthy enough, important enough, you're going to need to ask for help, especially if you are the visionary, if it's your vision. You're going to need to ask for help from other people, and that's really hard to do. So today, I want us to look at uh, a couple stories in the Bible of people that made very difficult requests in the Bible, right, and see what happens. And we're going to uh, kind of land on uh, one story in particular, the fifth story, and um, we're going to talk about why it is so important that we do ask for help. And it's not what you think. So, number one, first story of uh, five people that ask for help in the Bible is Moses and the golden calf. I don't know if you remember this story, but Moses went up to the mountain to meet God. And the people were waiting for him to come back. And he wasn't coming back. So out of panic, what did the people do? We need a God. Our, our guy that was the spokesperson for God is not here, and we need a God. And so what happened is they, they forced all their gold together, and they formed a golden calf. And 
they melted together and worshiped it. Now, here's the thing. God was talking to Moses on the mountain, and then all of a sudden, they're having this conversation, and, like, God had, like, spider sense, right? He's like, whoa, something's happening. He, he realized, right, he realized that they are building an idol, and he got really pissed, right? And he, he got so mad, and he was telling Moses, he's like, I am going to destroy them, right? And I'm just going to start over with you, and I'm going to build a nation through you. And Moses... He makes, a requ- he makes a request. He pleads God. Whoa, 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 God. Hey, hey, it doesn't make sense that you took us out of slavery to just destroy us in the desert, right? You're kind. You're slow to anger. You're merciful. And he basically changes God's mind. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to destroy them, <laughs> all right? You're going to go back and give them the Ten Commandments. So Moses pleads and asks for help when when you think that, oh my gosh, I don't think this guy's going to change his mind. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? You're afraid to ask because you don't think that they're actually going to listen to you or even change their mind. But Moses somehow changed God's mind. Number two, Abraham and Lot, okay? Now, same situation, very similar. God is about to destroy a city called Sodom, right? Two cities in particular, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham has a very passive way of requesting something from God, right? Abraham says, hey, if I find 50 righteous people, though, like, could you not destroy it? And then God says, sure, no problem. Let's make a deal. And then Abraham's like, hmm, I don't know if I can really find 50 people, (laughs) righteous people in Sodom, right? How about 40? Sure, 40? That's great. 30, 20, right? And then Abraham's like, oh, man, I really don't, I only really care about one person, which is his nephew, Lot. His nephew, Lot. And um, his nephew, Lot, sorry, I don't have a running nose a little bit. Uh, His nephew, Lot, is resigning in Sodom, and he is afraid that he's going to lose his only heir. And Abraham's vision is to be a, a, a great nation with many descendants, and he's afraid that if God destroys Sodom, He's going to destroy the, the one heir that I have to pass on anything to, even though he's just my nephew, okay? But God understands what Abraham is requesting, and he doesn't. He actually sends somebody just to save a lot, okay? So, interesting story again. Number three, Hezekiah in 15 years. I don't know if you know, but King Hezekiah, he, was, uh, he got really ill at the end of his life. And he's only, he's one of two of, like, the good kings during that era. And he got really ill. And basically, he pleads to God. He's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. God, please heal me, cure me. And so God actually lets him live for 15 years longer and listens to him. Because Hezekiah had a vision for another 15 years of life, ruling Israel. Number four, all right? This is an interesting one, is Mary, Jesus' mother, and the wedding wine, okay? So if you n- remember the story in, in John chapter 2, Jesus and, and his mom are at this wedding. And what happens? They run out of wine. And what happens when a wedding runs out of wine? Party dies. Everyone gets out of there, right? So everybody wants the wedding to keep going, but they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mom is sitting next to Jesus. And mind you, no one knows who Jesus is yet. They don't... They don't, well, they know who Jesus is, but they don't know that he is like this 
person, right? And Mary's looking at Jesus. He's like, come on. You can, you can make more wine. I know. I know you got the skills to do this. And Jesus is like, no. Like, it's not my time yet, right? He's like, I don't, this is not my, I don't want this to be my coming out party, mom, okay? I don't, this is not my time. I'm not going to start my political campaign here. This is not how I'm going to do it. But his mom was like, Jesus, please, can you just do this for your mother, right? She makes a kind of a ridiculous request because she's like, hey, I know these people. Uh, you know, I go to church with these people. They know me. Like, we, I want them to have a good time, right? And she just makes this innocent, kind of ridiculous request. But Jesus obliges. He actually, he's like, fine. <laughs> and he makes water into wine. I don't know if you guys know, but that is actually how that miracle happened. That was a conversation that led to that, okay? So if you have a vision, you cannot be afraid to ask and request. Because these are some ridiculous requests. And one of the reasons why we don't, we don't like to ask is because we think that, we think that someone won't, won't say yes. We think that God won't say yes. We think God won't change his mind. We think, uh, you know, this, this, this thing is not important enough. But we see in many, many silly cases that people make ridiculous requests to God and he actually either changes their mind and actually listens to them. Right? Fascinating, right? But here's the thing. I think one of the most important reasons why, uh, one of the most important reasons for us to ask is uh, this last story. And it is the parable of the persistent widow. And I want us to read this uh, really quick. Uh, and it comes from Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, yep. And it starts like this. So Jesus, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And he started the story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Does that sound like a good judge? Not really, okay? So he uses, a, he uses an example of a judge that is pretty bad and doesn't care for people and is not fair, but moves on. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So this widow is going to this judge knocking. Hey, give me justice. Hey, give me bothering him non-stop. And this guy does not care about a widow, okay? But because of her persistence and she drove him crazy, with her constant request, he said, fine, I'll give you justice. Wow. And this is Jesus' analysis or commentary on this story. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now, you know, a common misinterpretation is that we think that the judge 
is a replacement for God. But is that possible? Because this is, in this example, God is a, or in this example, the judge is not good. This is a classic example of um, God using someone that is bad, but even someone is, who is bad is capable of doing something good, right? Like even a bad father wants to give his children bread and doesn't give them and trick them and give them a rock, right? Like that example. So if, if even a bad father does that, how much more would a good father who is God give much more? So that's kind of the same type of uh, argumentation that Jesus is using here. So even an unjust, bad judge who doesn't care about people, even if he will give in to the request of constant, persistent asking, how much more would God give to the constant, persistent request of someone who asks him and cries day, day in and day out? Is there another verse to this? Yeah. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Okay, so this is another element to this verse. You know why? Because, because Jesus is telling this story not just about getting what you want. It's not just about praying unendingly. It's not just about not giving up to get what you want, but it is about the end time. Jesus is saying that when the Son of Man returns in the second coming, what's most important is people who are persistent, people who persevere, people who have character, people who never give up. It's not about what they have, not about what they've accomplished, but Jesus, in the end, he's saying, I am looking for people who persevere to the end, all right? And there's a chapter before this that kind of talk about why Jesus is talking about that this is most important. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Most of us, when we think about vision, we think that asking is a means to getting our vision. And that's the end, what we want, right? But in reality, asking for the vision actually leads to perseverance. I know I can't spell, but you know what that says, okay? Perseverance. And here's the thing. You know that story when Jesus says, people will come. Uh, people will come to me and say, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? I did all these great things. I casted demons. I did these miracles. We, did, we built these nonprofits and orphanages and organizations and churches. Didn't we do this in all your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. You never knew me. Because what's important is Jesus is not looking for the actual vision or accomplishments. What's more important is, are you someone that perseveres? Are you someone that never gave up? So actually, why is it so important 
that we ask for help is because asking leads to persevering. Asking leads to persevering. Now, one of my favorite movies is The Dark Knight. Has everyone watched that movie? Because I'm about to uh, ruin it for everyone, okay? And uh, I, again, please do not uh, write a negative Yelp review for butchering movies. But well, and one, of my f- one of my favorite scenes in that movie is this scene right here, okay? And, and it's this conversation that Alfred has with Bruce, okay? Bruce, is, his back is up against the wall because the Joker has threatened that he is going to kill someone every day that every day that Batman does not reveal who he is. You guys remember this plot line, this story, all right, in, this, in, this, in the second trilogy of uh, Nolan's version of The Dark Knight, right? And Bruce is, 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 is so, like, he, he's at this point where it's like, I can't let anyone die because of me, all right? Even though it's his vision to be Batman, right? And, and strike fear in criminals because they had no fear. But it's costing him that people are going to die. All right? And I love this conversation, and it sticks with me. I think of, I seriously dream, I, I'm like sleeping at night, and I think about it, and I just think about this scene. And it's like very, very important to me. All right? And this is the dialogue. I have the dialogue right here. Right? And Bruce, Christian Bale says, people are dying, Alfred. What would you have me do? Right? You ready for this? No, <laughs> endure, Master. No, I can't do it. All right. And he says, endure, Master Wayne. Take it. They'll hate you for it. But that's the point of Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the choice that no one else can make, the right choice. Sadly, even after this conversation, Bruce decides to reveal himself as Batman. But something happens. And Harvey Dent says that he's Batman, and they plan this thing in order to trap the Joker. Well, here's the thing. It all comes full circle at the end because at the end, Harvey Dent becomes a criminal, Two-Face, and commits all these crimes that basically undoes everything that Bruce and Batman worked for, and he makes the hard decision of what? He says, I did those crimes. He makes the hard decision right? And, uh, and he became an outcast for it. So in a very twisted way, he lived out what Alfred was saying to him, okay? Again, very, very important scene from my life. It's just, I go back to it a lot, but it's, just, it's this place that Batman, even Batman wanted to give up, right? It was his vision. It was his pain to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to instill justice, Right where another young boy doesn't have to watch his family getting murdered, but he even he wanted to give up. And Alfred says, "Endure, persevere." You know, I I'm really, I'm really proud at some of the things that we've accomplished this year at Hug. You know, I, we have like five couples that have asked for help in their relationships, asked for help in their pre-marriages, in their post-marriages. And it's incredible. Because you know what that tells me? That they will persevere in their marriage. The fact that they're asking for help so early on, that they're they're, they're willing not to give up later when it gets hard. 
I, I, there's like several of us that have asked for help in our finances. We did that whole series on like vice and addiction to spending, and it's propelled a lot of this conversation of people have asked for help on how to get rid of their debt, how to save for retirement, how to, how to actually invest their money in a smart way. And that's incredibly like embarrassing, but people here are, are not afraid of asking for that help. You know why? Because it shows me that you're willing to persevere. And you know, a lot of us in this room came to hug because you were fighting to give up on God. You're fighting to give up on church. You're fighting to give up on your faith. But you're here asking for help. Is there another way? And hug is here to help people persevere. Persevere in their marriages. Persevere in their callings. Persevere in their ambitions and dreams. Persevere where they will continue in their faith with God. And now, I am going to practice what I just said by asking for help from you. Will you help build this community, this place, to be a place that helps others persevere? Will you help build a place and community where people don't feel so embarrassed and ashamed to ask for help? Because people who ask for help in their marriages will persevere in their marriages. People who ask for help in their callings and becoming who they were meant to be will persevere in their callings. And people who ask for help in trying to love God honestly, sincerely, will persevere in the end. I believe that. So I'm here to ask, will you help with anything? Will you help? Because I need to get better at asking for help. So will you help build a place where people can persevere? Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to help Hug Church continue to be a space of safety and perseverance, won't you reach out to us? Feel free to head on over to our website, hugchurch.com, to leave us a message. Lastly, if you enjoyed this, won't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment? We would again love to connect. Until next week, a huge hug from Eddie and myself.